welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, Elise. Welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Yuri. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. It is absolutely my pleasure. I'm excited to see what we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, to start off with, because there are so many things that you're working on these days, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Most recently, I stumbled upon some language around human evolution that I'm kind of in love with. And, you know, that could change next week. But <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I really love how much we're learning about the brain science that backs up a lot of the developmental work that I do. I work really in the conversation of human development. Often I put it on the umbrella of leadership development because a lot of us are more willing to, like, strive to be better leaders than we um there's some way that like if we're working on our personal development that people get in their heads a little bit about making themselves wrong or like there must be something wrong or need to be fixed, which is not it at all. But mm -hmm. we're all evolving. And I love being a player in the evolution of of people on their journey on and, you know, in their with, you know, at work, at home, in their lives. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's that's how I'm describing it this week. Oh, sure. Which is great. <laughs> So I'm how deep into brain science then do you get for your own practice and in, in your work with your clients? Well, so I'm definitely more of a dabbler. Like there, you know, there are people who have deeply, you know, David Rock and, you know, there are people who are deeply in the conversation um, um, that I learn from. And so I, I don't in any way put myself out there as an expert mm -hmm. and as someone who's been doing developmental work for, you know, 15 years, there's a, a way that the science is catching up where it's like, see, see, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it actually makes it more palatable, more available for a wider group of people, um, which for me is, is wonderful because it, you know, the more people that can benefit um, from, from these conversations, from an expanded awareness, um, the better. Mm -hmm. So, oh, definitely. So, what did you originally study in college? <laughs> it's so funny because I am—I have a 17-year-old daughter who's um, figuring out. You know, she's a junior, and there, there's so much pressure about. Like, she's like, everyone knows but me, and I'm like, yeah, even the people who know don't really know, sweetheart. Right. But you know, you can't tell anyone that because she's 17, and she's a wonderful kid. Like, don't get me wrong, I adore, adore, adore her, and but you know, it's really stressful, and. Um, I I hilariously use my degree more than almost anyone I know because I studied interpersonal communication. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And, yeah, and actually at 19 led two labs of um interpersonal communication um courses. I taught two different labs 
And so I essentially was leading groups through these exercises to create more awareness, which isn't exactly what I do right now, but it's a lot of what I do right now. And yeah. um, some of those early, early uh, conversations that I took away from that, um, from that work, I still utilize. And the other focus was um, organizational development. And mm -hmm. I did change management for years. So <laughs> I, I really feel accidentally, I'll be really straight with you. Accidentally, I do a lot of what I studied. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. That's, it's wonderful that that has worked out and kind of <laughs> been with you throughout your career. So when you graduated, what did you end up getting into shortly thereafter? So I was at the time, so I worked my way through school. Um, I paid for my education and I, um, I saved up <laughs> so that I could work for a bookstore my last year of college. I worked at a bank until, you know, and I saved up so that I could afford to take the pay cut to work at the bookstore because we had this fantastic bookstore where I grew up. It was an independent bookstore and it was before, it was actually not only before Amazon, but it was before Barnes and Noble and Borders got really big. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were one of the top five bookstores in the country and, and, uh, it was in my own backyard and, um, I, when I graduated, they had just expanded and they needed someone to do training because they were hiring so um, much and, and they were hiring so much and they had no nothing documented. So my first job was um, doing training and development for this bookstore uh, called Books and Company. And and I worked for these two amazing entrepreneurs, Annie Kamara and Joe Neary, and uh, they gave me so much license to um to like ex expand what that meant, you know, because they, they didn't have a training person before that. So I got myself into all kinds of interesting things and it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So when was it that you decided to, I guess, in your career, branch off and start your own company? Well, so I, um, the, the bookstore went through a couple of ownership changes and the last ownership change happened, um, um, well, actually, the second ownership change happened right as I was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, okay. And so I it was an interesting time because, you know, I actually loved working because it was like the only time that I didn't have to think about having cancer. Right. right. And 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 it was really um, I really think I poured my heart into that work and um and then when the next change came, when they sold the store again, I, again, because I had done the training of everyone in the whole store, I had a different relationship with all of the systems than, than most people. You know, I had this really big view. And anyway, the short version is, is I had a pretty pivotal role in the second transition and was then hired to be, um, the training director for a ch the chain that purchased the store. Okay. And, um, that was awesome until they wanted me to move where their headquarters were. And I had just finished chemo and I was like, I don't think it makes sense for me to move by myself someplace with no one I know. And, <laughs> and, um, and in the time that I worked in the store, I was really active with our industry group teaching classes on um, running bookstores. And so I, I was able to leave that job on very good terms. I just didn't want to move. And I had a couple of people actually in Boston. I did a fair amount of work with a, a couple of stores there and, and uh, um, went and I thought, well, I can pay my mortgage for, you know, three to six months doing these consulting gigs until I 
um, until I go find a new job. And that would give yeah. me more time to heal. You know, it was, it was like a nice blend. And then, um, that turned into three years. And then I figured, well, if I'm going to be a consultant, I should go find out how real consultants do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was when I applied to work for Accenture and, uh, and did change management with Accenture for a while. So. Okay. Oh, cool. So when you, when you were first getting involved in consulting, were there, were there books that you read or people that you talked to, or was it just kind of an organic process? Oh gosh. I talked to everyone. Um, I'm sure there were books I read. Actually, absolutely. So I am a yeah. huge, huge, huge fan of the E-Myth, um, Michael Gerber, and he really talks about how systems are so critical to any kind of business. And no one goes into business to create systems. They go into business because they're passionate about whatever it is they're passionate about. Right. Um, and so he just did such a nice job of of uh, of explaining how to um, – how to create systems to make your life easier, to make your life better. Mm -hmm. um, and then honestly, at that same time, um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, which I know is tried and true, you know, which I know is kind of an old, oldie, but a goodie. But it, it, that really had me thinking in a more expansive way. Um, and then I just talked to everyone about and in some ways I was pretty young. And so in some ways it was easy because I could just say, like treat me like I know nothing. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> and yeah. um, people were really willing to to treat me like I knew nothing and tell me what they thought I should do. And and uh, some of it mo and most of it was pretty great. Mm -hmm. um, things about taking care of like all of the details end to end and not assuming people, you know, like a lot about follow up, like, if you know, just. And the world was so different then because it was mm -hmm. before smartphones. And so the communication was slower, um, but it was great. It was it was uh, I feel really, um, really blessed by how many people were, you know, supported me in, during that time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful. So when was it that you decided to get involved in, in coaching and become a business coach? Well, so I, 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 um, I did corporate for a while and there were, and then, um, in 2008 when the world was changing so fast, I was working for a tech company at the time here in Seattle. And mm -hmm. because downsizing was kind of the way to go, we, they had, um, I took an opportunity, you know, I, I, I raised my hand to say, Hey, I would like to, um, to take one of those packages. I would like to eliminate myself. <laughs> Um, I had a, a, a two and a four year old at the time and I live on the, I live on Bainbridge Island, which is about, which is a ferry ride away from Seattle. And I felt like mm -hmm. I couldn't, I felt like I was living two lives. And so I, I raised my hand and again, it's kind of funny because I didn't realize this until right now speaking about it, but that essentially bought me three months to find the next thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I thought I would buy, I thought I would start a business. I ended up buying a business because I was really curious to see if all these, um, opinions and, and trainings I did for people around leadership and management, if they really worked. So, <laughs> and, or, you know, I knew, I knew they did, but it, you know, I really wanted to see how it would go under my own steam. So I bought a business. I bought a store here on Bainbridge and, um, did that for about four years. Um, and after that, after I sold that, I did a brief dance, a brief stint at Starbucks only to realize that I really wanted, really valued all the things that come with working for yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I went back to consulting and, and then I talked to someone and who was a coach and I was like, what is that? And um, they said, they told me what it was. And I was like, oh, I, I, I do that. I love that. I, I want to do that. <laughs> so I went and uh, did it, signed up for a year long training program and got certified to coach and, mm-hmm. and, and so uh, grateful. Like I really feel like I found work that totally matches what I, uh, what I love to do on the planet and what I, um, I love seeing people have more peace and ease in their skin. And I love, um, we spend so many hours at work. So people having an empowered and, you know, dare I say it, joyful relationship with their work. That's, that's priceless. Yeah. So would you mind going into some of the, I guess, either like the techniques or processes you go to help your clients <laughs> become more comfortable at work and, and feel more empowered? Yeah. So <clears throat> it's very it's very individualized and it's also it's, a lot of it is about limiting beliefs. So so much of it is listening to someone and listen. Yeah. You know, I'm really deeply trained in listening for what what gets in people's way. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of what our whole world live inside of stories, right? Like there are very few, um, there's a a little fable that I like to tell about uh, a a shoe company that sends two of its back in the day, right? So they send two of their salespeople off on barges and one sends a telegram back that says, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming on the next barge back. Stop. Uh, no one wears shoes here. Stop. No opportunity. Stop. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, a shoe company. I don't know if I said that, but anyway. Yeah. So the next, you know, next week they get the next message that says I'm extending my trip by two months. Stop. No one wears shoes here. Stop. Endless opportunity. Stop. <laughs> right. and, and so like whatever beliefs we have about the world we inherited from the people that brought us up in the world, from our culture, from the time when we were raised, like there's so many things that inform us that we Mm -hmm. just unconsciously um, walk around with as if it's fact. And most of the time it's not. And so um, fundamentally what I do is engage with people in a conversation that helps to um, shine a light on, Hey, this isn't true. This is, you know, what do you want to choose? And we have lots of tools, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, of, um, ways to do this and it all starts with a conversation mm-hmm. um, and it all starts with expanding your it, my company a squared is about awareness and action right okay. so awareness once you have an awareness that something could be different and then you're able to choose something different mm-hmm. so so how do you so i guess i'd say this because you know everybody has had a bad manager at yes. some point, how do you train people not to be bad managers or or talk them through a process so they're self-aware enough to know when they're being a bad manager? Well, so two very different questions. Yeah. Um, the first one, I'm just going to think that one informs the other, though, because the truth of the matter is, is that there has to be something at stake. And we humans, we love our comfort zone. It's not accidental that we have roofs and heat that turns on and off and things to hold our beverages and, you know, smartphones. Like everything is designed to get to keep us more and more and more and more comfortable. Right. And so in order for someone to change, they have to have some 
reason. There are a few people on the planet who are like, you know, I just want to be better and I want to, you know, and but most of us are striving toward a place and, you know, we arrive at a place and we're like, OK, that's pretty good. And mm-hmm. um, so if if uh, if someone is not a particularly good manager, the first conversation I or if, if I've been brought in um, to, to work with someone on developing better leadership because there's some sort of problem Mm-hmm. The first conversation is, is do they agree there's a problem? Because if they don't, it, there's really no point, sure. right? If they, um, and and frankly, even if their job is online, there still is no point. You know, if they're not um, connected enough to like, hey, I want to have something be different. And I've actually had the experience where someone has called me kind of baffled. Like, I'm calling you because for the third year in a row, I haven't gotten the promotion I want. And I truly don't understand. That's a very different conversation. But if they're calling me because my manager says I have to talk to somebody, otherwise I'll get fired. So I'm going to talk to you. That won't work. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, so the other piece is like the whole concept of bad or good manager exists inside of it's all interpretation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the culture of the business really matters. Right. Like like one of the. um um one of the companies that I worked for was a joint venture between Accenture and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And at Accenture, the culture was 110%. Like you don't turn something in unless it is maybe not perfect, but as close to perfect, if not better than perfect possible. Yeah. Whereas Microsoft, completely different industry, they were like, get it to 80% and deliver it. Get it to 80% and deliver it. You want to talk about a culture clashing. I, I kept saying to people, someone should be writing their PhD about this because this is fascinating, you know, like <laughs> – because, you know, they're like, no, we can't, but we have to. And and it was like the righteousness that that inspired. And because they were right in their environment, they were right. And in this new environment, it was like, well, what is it for this company? Right. And so bad management, like it, it the reason I love to do work inside of business is because it all comes down to effectiveness. There are measurable results. Yeah. And so being able to say to someone, hey, your turnover you haven't had anyone stay working for you more than six months or a year. Um, are you interested in having a look at that? And they still have to choose. They still have to say, yes, I am. Because if they're saying, well, no, of course not, because the company, blah, blah, blah. Or like if all of the fault lies elsewhere, it's yeah. they're just not ready to have that conversation. Okay, sure. With your studies that you've done on, on leadership, what is some bad advice that you hear being said about it all the time? Um, well, I love, <laughs> I love it when people talk about it as, as, as though it's, um, as though it is a finite thing. Like I, I was, I was excited to come talk to you because I, I and part of why I uh, got part of how I got here is I always say leadership is so much more of an art than a science. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are like, this is the definitive way, right? And I actually yeah. just read an article earlier that said, you can always rely on this. And it's like, there, that actually doesn't exist. <laughs> like, part of leadership is being willing to get, like, I'm going to have to show up, do the best I can. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to fail sometimes. I'm going to have to. And so, um, y- y- you know, if you start to lean too heavily on control and manage, mm-hmm you're likely going to make yourself and your employees miserable and it will be less, less effective. Yeah. Um, and so 
Uh, and then the other, like one of my big pet peeves, like, so I'll answer the question really specifically. A lot of, um, I have never worked with someone who doesn't want to talk about how to give and give and receive feedback better. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of time. And one of the, um, things that just, I can't believe it was ever invented is this whole idea of a compliment sandwich. <laughs> you know, where like you give some, you're like, mm-hmm. so I really appreciate this. And by the way, you suck at this and I appreciate this. Yay. You know, yeah. and like, don't do that. <laughs> So that's the particular bad advice I wish that I could take away from anyone who thinks like, oh, this is a way to give feedback. I'll do a compliment sandwich. Right. So I hear compliment sandwiches all the time because I work in corporate <laughs> and that's honestly how I get and receive or actually how I receive feedback a lot. What would you suggest is a better way or a, I don't know, an alternative way than the compliment sandwich? <laughs> well, so first of all, I, I love the I, I love the idea of of acknowledgement versus compliment. So a compliment is like, hey, nice glasses, right? right. Or um or you know, great job on the Peterson project, right? Like it's it's kind of you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It's it feels a little bit like a throwaway comment. Yeah. Whereas acknowledgement is really about, hey, I so appreciate the thoughtfulness of that question because it had me discover something different that I didn't know before. And it was meaningful. Like you're actually talking about the impact that it had. You're talking mm-hmm. about the difference that it made. Um, and so in an ideal world, that is happening with some frequency. Like you are, you are celebrating your people all the time and acknowledging them. Now I get like, it doesn't happen that way. I mean, I, I, I do live in the real world. That is one of the things that I consistently invite people to, um, to practice and, mm-hmm. you know, over time, <laughs> um, <laughs> However, when you have to give constructive feedback, mm-hmm. I I invite people to um, speak from some place of alignment. Like, hey, I know you to be someone who really cares about the quality of your work, and I want to talk to you about something that didn't work. Mm-hmm. So you're straight, you're clear, and then you're specific, right? When you turned this in and blah, 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 like you're talking about, again, you're talking very specifically. You're not putting a whole bunch of language around it. Like there are times where I can't tell you how many times I've done like 360 conversations with people um, and employees will be like, yeah, sometimes I don't know what he's talking about. Right. Like because people are so effusive because they're so uncomfortable. They're so uncomfortable just saying, you know, you didn't um, do a good job with this or this this can't happen again. Or there's the other extreme, which is like, you are an idiot. How could you not? Like, like, <laughs> so you're giving clear, specific feedback that's about the behavior that you want or the deliverance that you want. It's not personal or offensive to the person. And it's not, and it comes from a shared agreement of, hey, we're all on the same team and we all want the same things. Right. Okay. What are some of your favorite leadership books or your favorite books to recommend in general? So, um, oh, I should have been ready for this one because there's a great book. So, <laughs> and I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to quickly look it up. So I actually, oh, it's called The Coaching Habit. So okay. Michael Bungay Stainer wrote a great book called The Coaching Habit, um, that I think every leader should read because we are moving toward a more coaching, like the businesses that are going to survive this churn and this change are those that are, um, um, able that are creating more of a coaching culture. And what I mean by a coaching culture is I mean, it's more inquiry based. Mm -hmm. It's more open. There's less control and more um, 
Well, I, I actually just had this conversation with a, a leader earlier today where they've just rolled out a um, a policy where uh, it, it's a retailing. It's a retailer. And um, they realized that a lot of their managers who've been there for a long time had moved into roles where they were working like seven to three, which is great, except after three, there wasn't, you know, it was ghost town in terms of leadership in the various uh, locations. And so um, they rolled out a thing that all managers now have to work these set hours, right? Like, so that's more of a control and manage versus coming in and saying, so, you know, we want you to um, create the following. We want you to develop your people. We want to make sure that there's someone in a, a, to support customer concerns and any kind of breakdowns inside. Like they could have set up the criteria and then asked the leaders to say, so how do you solve this? Mm-hmm. My guess is that they likely would have solved it by having themselves there more. <laughs> but now they'll never know. And they've created this power dynamic by saying you must because leaders like, wait, no, I've earned my schedule. And it just has created this this push pull that's not necessary. So um, I, I do see, gratefully, I see that a lot that more and more organizations are moving toward this more coaching inquiry based culture. And I think mm-hmm. Michael's book is fantastic in that uh, in that regard. Um, um, I don't I would, I would have to think about some other ones like I love good to great. Like I'm looking at my bookshelf, like, sure. you know, uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, again, from the. Um, from the really understanding some of the underlying uh, motivations, uh, Charles Duhigg's book on habit, I think is a, a great read for, uh, for leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, because the more we habituate in a good way, the, the easier life is like so much of what we're up to has to do with energy. And when we're expending a lot of energy to make life work, we're more tired, we're less effective. Whereas if we can automate when we automate stuff all the time, I mean, you know, right. we, go out of our, get in our car. And most of us at a certain age no longer have to think about, okay, now I'm going to turn the ignition. Now I'm going to press the accelerated. It's, it's habituated. <laughs> right. Right. So. When, when you think about leaders in general, who, who are the, some of the, the favorite people who come to mind as like great examples of leadership in, in whatever industry? Hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm so um, I've been really thinking a lot about the leadership. The So I'm, I had a minor in political science and I mm-hmm. really um, I love I'm really very proud of being American. Like, I mm-hmm. think the way that our com- country was founded is pretty freaking fantastic that these mm-hmm. folks thought so far ahead. Um, and I think about like the the dialogue and the challenging conversations that, you know, Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and John Adams were in. So as to create the these these documents that we still live by. And similarly, you know, like I'm so grateful that even though Alexander Hamilton and John Adams really like did not get along in any way, they were both really thinking hard about their own respective passions. And thankfully, to this day, we're still benefiting from that thoughtfulness. Right. So, right. Um, you know, I think about, you know, even John Quincy, like planting the seeds. So, you know, John Quincy Adams looks like so early planting the seeds. So as to um, um, like the, because of the seeds he planted, that's mm-hmm. what enabled Lincoln to be able to do what he did as it relates to the Civil War. Like there's just there's so many wonderful examples historically of um, of great, great leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. 
I'm pretty excited by, and I'm, I'm just, I just literally just slipped out of my head, like what the new guy at Uber is doing. I'm pretty excited about like who he's being in terms of his new role. And I love, I just read this article about how he really sees energetically the culture of the, the company like needed to be that way from the previous, the previous, the founder and the CEO. And now mm. he's taking it in this more thoughtful, intentional, like, you know, so I think my point being that there isn't any one particular great leader, like the great leaders listen for what's needed and show up as within within what what the company needs or the organization or the calling of the of the um, of, of whatever it is. You know, there's there's leaders in. Um, oh, gosh, I just lost the word. I'm so sorry. Um, it's not just companies. It's also um, any kind of organized group right you have to be mm -hmm. like clear and have alignment on like where are we going and then the leaders are are bringing enough vision to to take you there while simultaneously um meeting the company or the organization where it is mm -hmm. um and so you know oprah oprah i'm sure is still a great leader but in her time like her leadership in terms of what she saw for the um for you know network, network television sorry for talk show television like she really was groundbreaking and she really was fierce about no this is what um you know and and um i don't know there's so many people like my mind is literally you know <laughs> um we have a lot of great examples and sometimes they're not and i think there's a lot of unsung i think there's a lot of leaders that are smaller and not reported on. In other words, they're just operating their, their, um, their smaller, even, and by smaller, I mean like thousand people companies, right? Like right. not mm -hmm. even, you know, they're not getting the headlines in Forbes or what, or, or, uh, Inc. magazine, but they're doing really amazing work in their, in their little, in their domain. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah. So th throughout your journey, how have you approached those times when you've been been fearful, whether it's like you're, you're changing jobs or, you know, you faced a very difficult situation with cancer? How do you approach times you're fearful and move past those? <laughs> uh, like any human, right? Ba barely and clumsily and, you know, with with much angst and mm -hmm. feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> It's funny because with the cancer, I didn't really feel like I had a choice. You know, people would be like, you're so brave. And I'm like, well, it's either chemo or die. I'm pretty yeah. just clear that I'm going to try the chemo, you know, like, <laughs> like and I, I say it sort of flippantly, but that is actually, you know, I really didn't feel like I had much of a choice. I felt like kind of betrayed, like, what the hell? But I also was um, fierce about like dying wasn't an option. So I got to figure this out. Right. Yeah. When it comes to things that are less fine, like that was really finite, but, mm -hmm. you know, changing jobs, I'm, I'm actually getting ready to launch a program. And, you know, part of me is terrified. I'm like, what am I doing? Why would I do this? Let's just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and so the what I practice, and again, I don't have this all figured out by any stretch of the imagination, but what I practice is staying really clear on what's available if my vision is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not about my vision being fulfilled so that then I have this many dollars or I have this much flexibility in my time. It's 
I see that this many people will be impacted and they all lead companies. And that means that many more people will be impacted Mm -hmm. and it can create something better. Like it it can be a contribution. Um, And so really remembering that that's what I'm playing for. Um, I also am a healthy realist. Like, well, if the worst happens, I am reliable to go tend bar and you know, like build my life again. You know, yeah. it isn't actually to, to that degree. Like for a long time, that's what it was. Like, okay, worst case scenario, I will go tend bar for two week, you know, two weekends a month. And you know, I, I am actually I've evolved a little bit past that, although not hugely so. Like I, I always, but I, I, I am unfailing in my belief that I will land on my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it doesn't necessarily look like I think it was gonna. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also, I believe that like part of why we're on this earth is to keep expanding. Like, and we see it in nature. Like I keep looking out here at this beautiful view of, of the forest and, you know, nothing in nature is stagnant. It's either, you know, expanding, blooming, growing, blossoming, or it's it's deteriorating, decaying. And I do believe that we all have to go in and decay a little bit now and then, like whether it's feeling sorry for ourselves or running into a few stumbling blocks or creating breakdown in our lives, whether it's because we blow up our marriage or blow up our job or, you know, I'm not saying do that, (laughs) but but (laughs) we do. And we realize in hindsight, like, oh, that was really I, I made that mess. Mm-hmm. And we're so quick to like smack ourselves around for making messes. Um, and so I, I think if the one tip I would have is really having a healthy practice around forgiveness of self, hmm. because we spend so much energy beating ourselves up as if that's going to do any damn good. Mm-hmm. And it mostly doesn't. Yeah. It mostly just is a big waste of energy. So the sooner you can allow like, yep, that didn't, I made that mistake or I, I chose badly or I was careless or whatever it is. And I got it. It's a brand new day. Yeah. And I forgive myself because the more able you're able to forgive yourself, the more able you're able to have space and forgiveness for all the other humans on the planet who are frankly doing the best they can. Right. So you have a very, a very positive and, and abundant way that you're looking at, at life and, and the future. Is that something that has just been like, is that has always that been with you or is that something you've developed over the years? Uh, you know, I had a lot of trauma in childhood mm-hmm. and I really got I saw a lot of um, the grownups that were pretty miserable and frankly, taking some of their misery out on me. And I didn't appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, and so there was, I think really early, I was like, this shall be, you know, I will not, you know, like I will not take my crap out on other people. I will not like, I, 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 I basically pretty early got, there has to be a better way. And if there's not, there's no, there's no hurt in trying, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I definitely can get, you know, I definitely have. A, a keen ability to see darkness. Like I really get like humans suck sometimes. Like we are terrible to each other sometimes. And, right. ugh, you know, like I get like the worst of humanity is, is uh, always, uh, <laughs> there's a movie. Uh, what is it called? It's with Diane Keaton and Queen Latifah and Katie. 
uh, God, what the heck is it? It's like big money or something. We well, Somebody could look it up based on those names. <laughs> yeah. But it opens with Diane Keaton saying, you know, every human has the ability to has has the ability to do bad things. Mm-hmm. And I get that. And I get that we as a community have a have a responsibility to create environments where bad things aren't invited. Like, you know, and and I actually that's part of why I like to play inside of business, because mm-hmm. I have it that businesses, it's in their best interest to create environments where people are are coming from better selves. Right. Yeah. Like, I know that that there is there are businesses that are like cutthroat and competitive. But I, I would like to believe we're moving away from that because it isn't working as well as it used to. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. But, you know, again, if, if I'm going to be on Fantasy Island, I'm going to stay there. You know, it's like I didn't hurt anybody. And um, so. I guess my point is it is an active choice. Okay. It's an active choice to believe the best, see the best. And that doesn't mean I'm Pollyanna. I read the news. I let my heart be broken. Mm-hmm. I cry. And then I'm like, okay. And I can influence my little piece on the planet. And I'm going to go out and do that again. Yeah. So That's I have no idea if that answered your question. No, that that, that definitely <laughs> did. Thank you. Um <laughs> So with everything that you've done, what has been the best advice you've ever received? Ah, that question. Mm-hmm. Control is a myth. Like I think and what I made up from that is that like it's a human paradox. We're constantly trying to create more control, right? We have schedules and our phones and in our we have calendars like literally I have a cal- three calendars in if you include my phone one right now yeah. in my space, right? Like we're always and, and yet. You and I are on this call at this agreed upon time, mm-hmm. somewhat by the grace of God, because the number of or, you know, by the grace of the universe, like so many things could have gotten in the way of that. Like, mm-hmm. like we simultaneously never have as much control as we think. And we're always trying to get more control. Yeah. So just keeping an awareness like like this. And actually, this this advice came when I when I had cancer and I honestly, like I lived alone, I was single, I, I was single and the doctor was like, so, you know, you're going to need to do this and do this and do this. And I'm literally thinking like, when, when am I going to work and earn the money to pay the bills? <laughs> you know, like, how is that supposed to work? You know, yeah. like you're going to need someone to take you here and there. And I'm like, who's that supposed to be? Right. right. And so, um, so I, I think, uh, I think that, and then I think the second piece is choose trust. Mm-hmm. Like we have a lot of people who are like, you have to, you have to earn trust, like choose trust, trust, choose to trust. And, and, and there's uh benefits, there's, there's benefits to choosing trust. So that was the second piece that, I, that really stuck with me. Sure. Well, Elise, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate your time. If the listeners want to get a hold of you and read more about what you're working on, what's the best place they can do that? They can um, reach out to me uh, via email is probably the easiest, I guess. Um, so that's my name, A-L-Y-S-E, at A and the number two, uh, coaching group, there are two Gs, dot com. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, or you can just go to the website, which is also A2 coaching group, A squared, but A2 is the, it's a number, so that confuses people. Oh, um, sure. And I would love, like, these conversations are, like, totally what light me up on the planet. So I would love yeah. to hear if this, if something stuck with someone or if somebody like vehemently disagrees, I want to know like, or, or if somebody's like, yes, this was awesome. Like I would love to hear from your listeners. So I am, I, uh, 
I would be very open to hearing. Wonderful. Well, I'll also put those in the show notes so they can click through and, and hopefully uh, have that conversation with you. <laughs> well, Yuri, thank you. It's been such a pleasure, such a pleasure and a privilege to to meet you and connect with you. And uh, thanks for the work you're doing. It's it's uh, it's. It's awesome. I love the influence. I've listened, you know, when I when I I, I love listening. I, I've enjoyed listening to your uh, your work. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. We'll have a good evening. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to advanceyourart.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again and have a great day.